Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hi, everyone. This is Rebecca, your friendly neighborhood director. Thanks for hanging out with us as we wind down our third season of History 21, the podcast. We've had a lot of fun putting these together and hope you enjoy them as much as we do. As part of our annual appeal at ACHS, we invite you to donate in support of the podcast and other programming you may enjoy. For the month of December, our goal is to receive 1,000 donations. They could be for a dollar or for $1,000, but we want 1,000 people to say they love local history and preservation of community stories. Our little nonprofit can't exist without your support. Thank you for all you've done and all we can still do together for the future. And we're live! Hello, Rebecca. <laughs> Good morning, Sarah. How You're back! You? I am back. We just, our schedules haven't been working out, and weirdness. You know, you're going on vacation again next week, right? <laughs> I am. Gotta use up those hours before the end of the year. Listeners, I have successfully gotten her out of the museum three actual weeks. It works. And this is our final episode for season three of our podcast. Do we celebrate or cry? Celebrate, of course. And it's our 74th episode total, which is just... Oh, that's interesting. That is blowing my mind. Oh, don't worry. I've put on our calendar like number 100. Okay, good. We won't won't forget. So we can be on Medicare for right now, but we haven't officially hit the cool birthday. (laughs) Yes. So put up your Duke, Sarah. Sock it to me, Sarah. (laughs) Uh, Very apropos for our next episode here. I'm all about the segue. (laughs) I appreciate that. Have you heard of the fighting? Frenchmen people, perhaps the two-time Upper Midwest Golden Gloves champion. I have, because I proofed the episode. Person who twice fought for the heavyweight boxing title. He's sounding more and more important. And he was an Anoka County Commissioner. No way! Who is this mystery person? This would be Scott Ledoux. We are continuing our tradition with the final episode of the year being an interview or recording with a past county commissioner. So Scott Ledoux uh, was born in 1949 and had a boxing career for for a while. His record was 33 wins, so 22 of those were knockouts, 13 losses, and 4 draws. But in the 90s, he moved to Andover and helped fundraise for the Andover Community Center. And then in 2004, he ran for county commissioner and won, unseating a 12-year incumbent. So he was a commissioner for District Number 5, which at the time was just parts of Coon Rapids, Andover, and Fridley. And uh, he sat down with Todd in 2006 to talk about 
his career as a boxer and becoming county commissioner. So Todd being my predecessor, we used to do a show called It's Your History with QCTV. So this is actually a video you can watch as well if you want to. Um, We pulled the audio from it. So if you want to see the interview, it will, of course, be on the vault. And it has advertisements for all of the other things we were doing in 2006 when it was recorded. It's like a history capsule of its own. Yeah, you can learn about our uh, annual meeting in March of 2006. (laughs) But Scott now, so let's dive into it. Hi, and welcome to the March edition of It's Your History, uh, a production from the Anoka County Historical Society with QCTV. This month's, uh, this month's episode, we're going to be doing an interview with Commissioner Scott Ledoux, Anoka County Commissioner. As some of you might be aware, Commissioner Ledoux is a former heavyweight boxer and, and even fought for the heavyweight championship in, here in, in Minnesota. And so we're going to have a great interview with Scott Ledoux. Well, thanks for joining us, Scott. Uh, tell me, what sports did you play as a kid, and, and how did that lead into boxing? I grew up in Crosby, Minnesota, a very small town on north. Uh, we played pickup baseball and had great times and touched football and those kinds of things. And as I grew older and, and got into the, the junior high, I got involved in football, I got involved in basketball, I got involved in baseball. And I played all three sports in high school. Now, it was football that took you to UMD, correct? Yes, I had an opportunity to go to the University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, my senior year, uh, I was a 16-year-old senior in high school, and I made the uh, the t- uh, CCO team of the of the year. Uh, I made the uh, offensive line uh, first team, and that was pretty exciting to be on that team and the all-state team they called it back then. And uh, it was pretty exciting to to accomplish that coming from such a small school. And uh, but uh, my senior year, I was a 16-year-old senior. And I was 6'2 and 225 pounds, and uh, I'd gained 40 pounds from my junior year to my senior year. But I attribute that to uh, the opportunity that my my father and neighbors gave me of clearing a 40-acre swamp and fencing it. So uh, I call that uh, my, it was an opportunity. Yeah, I bet you're thankful for that opportunity. <laughs> it wasn't the weight room, that's for sure. No, I can imagine. It was a 16-pound mall and, a, and uh, pounding the post in and, and clearing a little bit of, of trees. So it was fun. So when you were at UMD, who was it that introduced you to boxing? I had uh, never boxed uh, previous to that. I, I had, uh, after, when my freshman year, when football ended uh, early in those days, and like uh, mid-October, uh, they said to me, uh, a guy approached me about boxing, and, I, and he, he was, his name was Jim DeJarlis, and he was having a fight coming up, and he had no one to box with. He was a big, tall guy from, he had been six foot four, about 220 pounds, and he wanted me to come spar with him. I said, I've never boxed. He said, well, you're a big guy. I've never boxed either but he'd been working out. So we went to the gym and sparred, and uh, he handled me pretty easily. And it was pretty frustrating for me that big, tall basketball player could do that with me. So I continued to go back to the gym and uh, stayed there for two months with him, and we trained, and then he had his first fight, and he won by a knockout, and he quit. And I've, uh, it just, I was like, why would he quit? He won. But it was pretty interesting to me. Years later, 
uh, 25 years later I ran into Jim and I asked him why he quit and he said that uh, the, the reason was he got so nervous before the fight that he was nauseous before the fight and sick to his stomach and couldn't sleep for two or three days and uh, just decided that that wasn't for him and I thought to myself well that's exactly how I was but I still kept doing it <laughs> but it was you know and I don't mean any bad for him it just sure. meant well maybe I wasn't that smart you know <laughs> but it was really fun and I, I've it's been a great life for me Describe the scene for me what your first fights, your amateur fights were like. Tell me about the, the, the crowds and, and the atmosphere. Tell me about your opponents. You didn't sign them as amateurs. You, you have a coach and uh, I had a, a nice man named Sammy Gallup from Duluth who uh, trained me and, and got me fights. I fought and my first fight was in a regional tournament and I uh, beat a guy named Tom Stupar and I knocked him out and it gave me the opportunity to go come down to the Upper Midwest Tournament. and uh, But uh, Sammy said, no, I don't want you to go down there. You're too green. You've only had one fight, so don't go. So it was kind of funny that the next year, I ended up having three fights, and then he let me go. <laughs> so, and I went to the Upper Midwest Tournament, and, and uh, it was pretty exciting. I qualified for the Nationals. I won the Upper Midwest, and then the National Tournament happened to be the same week as final week at college, so I couldn't go to that. A year after that, I had a few more fights, and then I enlisted in the Army in 1969 and uh, served two years. When I got out of the Army, I came back down to Minneapolis and, and started boxing again as an amateur and uh, had quite a few fights, and, and I'll always remember the first fight I had when I got out of the Army. hadn't boxed in two years, and my trainer took me to Stillwater Prison to box a couple, an inmate, I thought an inmate. And uh, when we got to the, to, the, to the prison, checked us in and everything, we changed clothes and there was a physical and there was some fighters. And I said to my trainer, which one am I fighting? He said, you're fighting the guy on the left first. I said, what do you mean first? He said, the first fight is you and this guy on the left. He said, that bigger guy down there in the end, you're fighting him in the main event. So my, uh, it was pretty challenging. And I won both of those fights by knockouts. And, and, and it was pretty, uh, but I was always scared. The last five minutes, they always come to your room and go, five minutes to go. That's when I got calm. That's when I realized it was too late. Now you got to fight. And that's when I started really getting into the, the fight mode and focusing on what I had to do and what I had to accomplish. And a lot of times people would say, well, did you think about how you're going to smack him around and beat him and stop him? I said, no. What I focused on was that he was not going to be able to hurt me, and I was going to be able to hurt him. And in your mind, you have to have that mindset to believe in yourself that whatever he gives you, you can take. And I think that that was uh, pretty uh, overwhelming for me. I, 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 I think that it was a strong part of my game was the thought that I would never get hurt. And uh, I was never knocked out. I always say that's the good news. The bad news is I remember everything. Oh. But, uh, you know, I got knocked down a couple times. You know, I got knocked down uh, against George Foreman. I got knocked down against another world champion, Greg Page. Uh, that was, you know, I got knocked down, you know, pretty good. So, but that's, I got back up. And 
I always said, the good news is no one ever counted 10 over me, you know? Yeah. But, the, but the bad news is I remember everything. Blow by blow. Huh? Yeah, blow by blow, yes. So the memory's still sharp? <laughs> yes, and fortunately it is, or unfortunately, I don't know. I think it's fortunate. I think that growing up in, in an iron range up in Crosby, having a father that was a miner for 39 years, he worked 39 years in the mines, never had the opportunities that I have had because of the boxing. I mean, I got a chance to go all over the world. I think the thing that really struck me the most, and I always remembered the day I got out of a cab in New York City with my wife, we were staying at the Statler and for a fight, and I looked over, and on the marquee, it said, main event, Scott Ledoux versus Pedro Soto on Madison Square Garden at the marquee. And it really impacted me then, thinking about my father, how hard he worked for 39 years in a mine and never had those opportunities that I had. And so it was pretty exciting for me. What did your parents think of your boxing career? My father was never, uh, he was an old school guy. He never said much, you know. He didn't say, you know, you gotta go out and do this or that. He never said a word. He just was always there and he would make sure I was okay after the fight. My mother would come to the fights but never stay in the seat. She would always go out in the hall when I was boxing. She couldn't stand to see me hit. And so it was kind of interesting that way. And uh, it just, it was a pretty interesting uh, life. But my mom and dad were, were very proud of me and, and uh, never said those things to me, but I knew it, it was a given. When did you first realize that boxing had become your profession or did you always have another job when you were, when you were fighting? I started out, when I first turned professional, I was driving for Consolidated Freightways. I was a truck driver, and I worked the docks, and I uh, worked full-time, and I had, my first year, I had 13 fights working full-time, and uh, that was tough to do, and uh, very uh, stringent training and, and knowing how I had to focus, and there wasn't much else. There wasn't much social life. It was work, training, work, training. To have 13 fights in the first year was pretty busy, and uh, so I, I was pretty blessed that way. Uh, I had a pretty good uh, start. I was 12 and 0. My 13th fight, I got butted in the first round by headbutt and cut up here for 12 stitches, and they stopped the fight. Back in those days, you lost when you got a headbutt. Today's world, it would not be a loss. It would be called a draw, a technical draw because it has to go five rounds before I get a decision. And then once I, I left Consolidated Freightways in the spring uh, of 75 and uh, felt like I needed to make a mo motion to be a full-time fighter. However, I kept working for other people doing a driving truck. I, I drove a team uh, with, a, with another guy driving over the road sometimes, uh, just having to do that because you cannot survive on, on boxing when you initially start, and it wasn't that kind of world for me at that time. By this time in 1975, you're a professional fighter. What brought you to Anoka County? Well, I moved up here in 1972, uh, September of 72. Uh, uh, my wife and I felt like we needed to get a home and, and, and have a place, and uh, I never ever went south when I left Minneapolis. I always went north up to see my parents and go fishing, go hunting, stuff like that. So I came up to, it was then, Grow Township, 
and uh, bought a home up here and moved up here. Many of my friends said, why are you moving out of town, you know? But it wasn't out of town, and now it's really close compared yeah, to a lot of it. Yeah, and now there's so many people past me that, you know, it's just amazing how far out people are driving now. But, uh, you know, I loved it up here. It gave me a sense of home because right out my back window I could see cows and stuff like that. Now it's all changed, obviously. But, uh, you know, it was a great, great place for me to raise my children and uh, to live. I lived there uh, since 72. I've lived up in Anoka County. I've enjoyed it. Now, you fought for the heavyweight championship at Met Center in Bloomington. How did the fight end up there? Um, well, I'd also fought two years earlier for the heavyweight championship against Mike Weaver in the Met Center. Oh, okay. And I, precipitating that was that right at this time, to my knowledge, I owned the top 10 gate receipt and attendance records in the state of Minnesota. So I was a good draw. I enjoy, people liked to see me fight because I came to fight. I wasn't, uh, I never ran away from anybody, just like right now, as a county commissioner, I don't run away from anybody. They call me, I return the call. They email me, I email the, the, the email back to them. However, I have set the rules of engagement recently that they cannot curse at me, they can't call me names, and, and those are the, the major things and, and that they need not do. Constituents or fellow commissioners? Well, it's not, not commissioners, but it's uh, constituents, not even mine. Most of the people who are, have been belligerent to me are from other areas of the county. But for, for some unknown, well, I shouldn't say that. I think part of the reason is I am more visible sure. because of my name. Most of the people don't know their commissioners, was I found out when I ran for county commissioner. Nobody knew the guy I was running against his name. And that was interesting to me. But uh, that's, I've been a target and it's been challenging. But I don't run away from anybody. We'll get back to your uh, job as a county commissioner in a little bit, but I, I, I wanted to hear a little bit about, I heard you were once robbed in a fight with Larry Holmes. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it wasn't a decision. It ended up, you're thinking of the Norton fight, Kenny Norton they talk about. I knocked Kenny Norton down twice at the Met Center. Okay. Uh, all I know is that he went to the hospital, I went to a great party. Who won, you know? Uh, uh, it was a great fight, and uh, I trained really hard for that fight. I had a great uh, training camp. We had a great plan for that fight, and it worked. Uh, when I fought Larry Holmes, uh, we had a plan, try and get him to the later rounds, because we knew that my, my hand speed was not as great as his. We knew that he was going to move and run, but we always felt that I was always in better shape than most of the people I boxed. Uh, and so we wanted to get him to the later rounds. Uh, it, it didn't work out that way. Uh, in the seventh round, he stuck a thumb in my eye, tore my retina, and uh, he had done that previous the previous fight before me. He had torn the retina in the guy's, uh, two of his eyes, and the guy, the opponent he had, a guy named Leroy Jones. And he was very good with thumbs, Larry was. Um, I was good with shoulders and elbows, so. All even. How did you use your shoulders and elbows? Well, you get guys inside, you do a little bit of this, and then, like when I fought Leon Spinks, uh, he would always get over on this side over here, and the referee was always over here. It was a wonderful thing for me. It was a wonderful thing because when he got his head over here, I could lift up the elbow, get his chin up in the air, and hit him with a left hook. Whenever you follow a foul with a clean shot, you never get called. 
and it was pretty interesting. It was, you know, it was pretty funny is that uh, Tom Brookshire and Pat Summerall did the fight, and uh, one of the things they said during the fight was, one of the things we don't want to do is ever get in a, in a fight with Ledoux in the alley, because <laughs> I knew all the tricks. That's I'd been around for a while. So, but Leon didn't, you know, and he was a tough kid, a great fighter. To me, uh, the thing about Leon was that most impressive is that he had the intestinal fortitude to win a gold medal. People don't realize what a tough road, to what a tough climb that is, and how difficult that is. And he did a great job. He and his brother both won gold, and I think that's the part that uh, they, they forget about. When did your boxing career end? Well, I, I continued to uh, fight until 1983. Uh, I fought a guy named Frank Bruno, who was a world champion, uh, over in London, England. And uh, Frank gave me, gave me frequent flyer miles in the ring. So that wasn't a good thing. You know, when you get hit with a left hook and you're flying through the air, you're thinking to yourself, this is not a good opportunity for me. And so uh, after that fight, I, I retired from uh, competitive boxing. I retired from competitive boxing. Uh, uh, the, one of the greatest lines I ever used at that time though was, Frank was only 21 years old, and uh, at that time I think I was 32, and the uh, press asked me, asked, asked me afterwards, well, do you think you could have beaten Frank Bruno when you first started? I said, I'd have killed Frank Bruno when I started. He said, well, what makes you think you'd have killed him when you started? I said, when I was started, Frank Bruno was four years old. <laughs> so, so, it was, so it was kind of fun. But I, I, did re, I, re, I retired, but I never left the gym. I always kept going and sparring with guys, working out, trying to keep my weight down, which is a, is a battle for me forever, you know. It's, it's always going to be a battle. And so I continued to go to the gyms and spar. And then in, in 19, uh, or right after the Bruno fight, I ran Grandma's Marathon. And then in, in uh, year 2000, 1990, I did a 520-mile triathlon. And uh, it's called Border to Border. You bike 420 miles, you run 52 miles, and you canoe 52 miles. And uh, so then the next year, I got a call to come spar with Mike Tyson, who was 25 years old. Uh, he turned 25 during training camp, and I was 42 at the time. And so it was pretty interesting to go back and, and train and, and be a part of the camp. How was it that you decided to run for Anoka County Commissioner, and, and uh, what was it that got you involved in Anoka County politics? Well, I've lived here, like I said, for 34 years. Uh, I love the county. I love the way that it's grown. Uh, I think the uh, commission has done an uh, admirable job of keeping our taxes low, uh, keeping us the lowest tax county in the seven-county area. I think that's impressive. Uh, I think the thing that I, I, I was approached four years ago to chair a committee to build the Andover Community Center in the YMCA by the mayor of Andover, Mike Gamash. And I said I would do it, and I chaired it, and now it's built. That and the hockey rink is all built. And it was a wonderful project to chair. Well, then, uh, two years ago, he approached me about running for city council. And I was thinking, I don't want to be a part of that city council, and I just didn't want to do that. But a friend of mine called me up, and we talked, and he said to me, which would you rather have, somebody calling you about barking dogs at 11 o'clock at night or somebody calling you in the middle of the day about transportation problems. I said, I like that middle of the day part, you know? 
And so uh, I, he said, well, then run for county commissioner. And so I, I decided I would run for county commissioner. And I found, I made some calls and found out that I had to run in the district I was living in. And that uh, the guy that I would run against, Dave McCauley, had been an incumbent for uh, 12 years. And uh, he would be a tough opponent to beat. And so I made an effort and uh, my wife uh, helped me a great deal. Uh, she campaigned with me. We went out and walked the doors, hit doors together. And she, if someone uh, needed to talk to me, she would call me over and I would answer questions. Um, one of the things I told people, I am not a politician. Still am not a politician. Uh, I am a guy that's for Anoka County. I'm not a politician looking to build, go somewhere higher to another position. I have no desire to go to another position. I like being county commissioner because I have an impact on where I live. I have an impact on the place I live for 34 years. And so I'm trying to do the best I can and answer the, the people and answer the public and do the right thing. That's the most important thing. If I do the right thing, I don't have a problem. Are you in touch with the local boxing scene today? What's it, what's it like? Well, I think the local boxing thing right now, for professionally, it's really floundering. And uh, back when Governor Ventura was in office, he, he made a line in the sand and said, everybody below this line is gone, which included the boxing commission. So uh, it was very disappointing for me to, to get rid of the commission. I served on it for 18 years. Uh, right now, I've been working really hard. Uh, Representative Westerberg uh, from Blaine area is helping me write a bill and uh, we have another lady uh, from Hatch's office who is a state representative, uh, representative on the Democratic side is co-authoring that bill and we're hoping to get the Boxing Commission back in the state of Minnesota in, in sometime in March. Uh, right now nobody can fight here in the state of Minnesota professionally because there's no commission. Locally uh, here in Anoka, we have a, a gym now over in Coon Rapids that I help uh, facilitate. The Coon Rapids City Council has been very good about supporting that gym and keeping it open. They've had uh, as many as uh, 60 kids in there at night working out. That's where we need our children, in gyms, in sports, not on the street. And uh, the boxing gym has been a great uh, facilitator for young people that can't afford hockey camp, can't afford basketball, can't afford football. But when they go to the boxing gym, the gyms give them the mouthpiece, give them the shoes, give them love, take care of them, give them a place to be. How can someone get involved in this Coon Rapids boxing program? Just go down there. It's right on Egret and uh, Coon Rapids Boulevard. Ron Lyke is there, Arnie Ensel, the two guys that run the gym. They do a wonderful job and they, they help young kids get started in boxing. They don't, you know, force them into fights. The Golden Glove program is such a structured program that the only way you get to fight is if you got four or five fights and he's got four or five fights, they let you fight each other. And that's and it's a great program for kids. It's a great opportunity for kids to, to be out and, and get some of that energy worked off and uh, not have to spend a great deal of money. Well, Commissioner, thank you for joining us and sharing a little bit about your own, uh, your own special place in Anoka County sports history. 
Okay, and that should wrap it up for this month's edition of It's Your History. And I want to thank you for joining us, and please look forward to more, more uh, episodes of, of this television show. That wraps it up for this month's edition of It's Your History, and please join us again next month. Thank you. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, my name is Diana Nurberg, and I'm a librarian for Anoka County Library, and I'm here with your Library Minute. This time, we're checking out boxing films. Let's get started. First, we have a boxing film classic, Rocky. It was added to the Library of Congress's National Film Registry in 2006, officially marking it as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And it's difficult to argue. The almost instantly recognizable theme music, its quotability, the iconic Rocky step scene. When people think boxing films, Rocky is often the main event. Next, we have When We Were Kings, a documentary film about the 1974 championship match between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. It won the 1996 Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Finally, we have Cutie and the Boxer. Now, while this isn't the typical dark and gritty boxing film, it does handle the theme of personal struggle and tenacity with heart. The documentary film follows an artist couple, including Ushio Shinohara, who uses boxing gloves as his paintbrush. While he struggles to hold on to his legacy and keep his family afloat, his wife yearns to make her own artistic mark. You can find these and other great resources from your local Anoka County Library. Until next time, happy learning! Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anokacountyhistory.org. And now, for the rest of the story. What happened after 2006 when he got elected? He ran for election again in 2008 and received a whopping 61% of the vote. Super popular. And what people didn't realize at the time was Scott had just been diagnosed with ALS in 2008 as well. And um, how that affected him, he went from being this boxer, very um, athletic human to relying on walkers and using wheelchairs. And uh, there was references in articles about him that the county board put in automatic doors to the boardroom so that Scott could still attend uh, the board meetings and things. But the disease progressed and he had to resign from his position in 2010. And his wife ran for his seat in a special election and um, won the seat. And then Scott unfortunately passed away from complications of ALS in 2011. So this interview with Todd is an interesting snapshot of him as a county commissioner before realizing that he had this illness. The stories that we keep are always those snapshots in time where you don't quite know what's around the corner and you get to talk from your own truth. You know, I, I think about the ones we did before COVID or the ones just before someone passes away or just before uh, something else happens in the county politically. And or you look back it, and you're like, all of these other things were going on at the same time. And I didn't realize it. Even in research, we try to pull in those um, little pieces and aspects that 
this was going on in Anoka County at the same time. It's a big web. It's a spider web. Well, spoiler alert for those of you who want to look ahead a year for our next annual county commissioner interview. Uh, we'll likely. Well, well, yeah, it'll it'll <laughs> likely feature Rhonda Sivaraja and Matt Look because we're going to be interviewing them in the upcoming months about. Uh, both of them and their time that they've spent on the county board um, and their career moves at this point. It's part of what we do here at the museum to have those interviews with public figures so that we can offer it to our humans in the future. Because remember, the present is the past of the future. Uh... <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> Thanks for supporting local history, everyone. We'll see you next time. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21 The Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future. <laughs>